We start with a statement this morning. Who you are is the key to what you do. Who you are is the key to what you do. And oftentimes we, we do that backwards. We say, well, what you do is the key to who you are. And I'm not going to lie to you this morning and tell you that what you do is not important because your actions, my actions matter. They, they're massively important. But who you are precedes that. Who you are is more important than what you do. What you do or your actions should flow from who you are or your identity. So Jesus, after spending the first 12 verses of Matthew chapter 5, telling the disciples who they are. And you remember, we've been going in the Beatitudes. We've gone through the Beatitudes, and here's we, 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 we read together that you are, as a follower of Jesus, here's who you are. You're blessed because you're poor in spirit. You're, you, you're people who mourn. For sin, you're meek, you're hungry and thirsty for the righteousness of God, you're merciful, you're pure in heart, you're peacemakers. That's a picture of who you are as a kingdom citizen, as a saint. That's who you are. And in God's economy, identity always precedes activity. Let me give you two examples of this. The first is in Exodus chapter 20. Now, if you know your Old Testament at all, or really well, you know that Exodus chapter 20 is one of the most famous passages in the Bible because this is the place where we are given the what? Somebody help me. The Ten Commandments. Exodus chapter 20. God gives the, the, the Ten Commandments to Moses and to the people of Israel. The first words in the Ten Commandments, however, are not, you shall or you shall not. Why? Because identity precedes activity. The first words in the Ten Commandments actually are, I am. And the Ten Commandments section starts, verse 2, chapter 20 of Exodus, I am Yahweh Elohim. Now we translate that, I am the Lord your God. I am Yahweh, that's my name, I am Elohim your God. I am your God, my name is Yahweh. I am Yahweh Elohim, the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt and out of the house of slavery. All right, our identity is born out of his identity. In our activity... Ten Commandments, thou shalt and thou shalt not, follows our identity. God begins with telling us who we are. Now, who does he tell us we are here? He tells us we are his. Who are we? I am the Lord. I am not God. He doesn't say I'm the Lord God. He says I am the Lord your God. And because I am the Lord your God, here is how we're going to live in fellowship with one another. And that's the Ten Commandments. I am the Lord your God. I brought you out of the land of Egypt and out of the house of slavery. Do as I say because I am the Lord. I am your God. He establishes their identity as citizens of his kingdom before he tells us how we should act and treat one another. Now, I want you to also flip over 
just keep your place right there in Matthew chapter 5. If you've already turned there, if not, then you're going to be turning to two places. Matthew chapter 5 being one of them. But flip over to Acts chapter 1. There's a famous passage that, that most of us are familiar with. If you're not, that's quite all right, because I'm going to read it to you. But a familiar passage in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Remember, we're talking about identity preceding activity. Who you are, more important and primary to what you do. Acts chapter 1, verse 8, Jesus speaking. He says, but you, talking to followers, talking to disciples, talking to the very first Christians, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Jesus is giving out gospel marching orders here to the very first Christians. And what he does not say is just as important and as impactful as what he actually does say. He does not say, go and witness. I look at it. He doesn't say, go and be a witness. What does he say? Jesus says, this is, if you're a Christian, if you follow me, if you're a disciple, this is who you, what's the word? This is who you are. It's not something you do, it's who you are. See, witnessing or evangelism, sharing the gospel, it's more who you are than it is what you do. The, the, the action, of course, is important, but it's born from you will be my witnesses, not go and witness. Jesus says this is who you are. You have witnessed the transforming power of the gospel. That's who you are, gang. This is the thing that changed the world. Jesus telling these people right here, go and be the witnesses that you are. Go and be who you are to the world. Who are you? You're witnesses of what I've done. You're witnesses of my, my crucifixion and my resurrection. You're witnesses of the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus did not revolutionize the world by giving instructions. He revolutionized the world by changing people. Who you are is more important than what you do. It comes first. So let's talk about who you are this morning. Now, look, if you are here this morning, and this is not who you are yet, if you're not a follower of Jesus, I put the word yet in there, because I'm praying that today, or very, very soon, you become a follower of Jesus. And this can be who you are as well, because it's really good news. Here's the first thing that we have learned over the past several weeks together. First thing, you are blessed. Who are you? You're blessed. You're blessed ones. If you have your Bible open to Matthew chapter 5, um, if you don't, while you're turning there, I'm going to tell you a story that I read this week about a man named Michael Carroll. Michael Carroll, I'd be surprised if you've heard this story. Maybe you've heard a story similar to it because, unfortunately, there are many stories similar to this. Michael Carroll was a British man or is a British man who won the lottery in 2002. He was 19 years old at the time that he won the lottery. Michael, at this point in his life, worked a part-time job as a trash collector. He was a garbage man, part-time. Michael took his $14 million and he invested a part of it. He spent money also on houses, mansions, cars, 
drugs, dogs. And Michael discovered that after he had won the lottery, all of a sudden he had all of these people that wanted to be his friend. All these people showed up and and wanted a part of what he had. Michael would spend hundreds of thousands of dollars on parties. When I read the story about Michael's life, it seems like he's a guy who's very, very empty and was looking for something that he couldn't find with $14 million. Michael claims that he slept with over 4,000 women after he won the lottery. It's how broken this man was. Michael feasted on, he said breakfast for him was cocaine and vodka. Spent his millions lavishly and foolishly. He burned through all of his money. All of his money. And Michael was a man who within 10 years would find himself broke, blackmailed, eventually spent a year in jail during the same period of time for all of his foolish decisions that his money seemed to have brought him. The last record of Michael was that he was not employed anymore as a trash collector. He's burned through all of his money. He now worked as a logger in England making around or the equivalent of $13 an hour, 10 years. We're not talking about, oh, over the period of 100 years, I made some bad investments, and now all of the money that was left is gone. We're talking about 10 years. He burned through $14 million in 10 short years. Here's the question. As we talk about the Sermon on the Mount this morning and the section that we're going to dive into in a moment. Having just finished reading the Beatitudes, establishing the first part of our identity according to Jesus here and the Beatitudes is that you are blessed. The question that each of us has to wrestle to the ground is this. What do we do with our blessings? What do we do when we are blessed? How do we handle Blessing, and I tell you the story of, of Michael Carroll because here's a man who took the blessings in his life and he squandered them. How do you squander blessings? You spend them on yourself. You primarily focus on your, yourself. So when you find yourself in a season of blessing, no matter what that may be, maybe that's financial, it doesn't have to be financial. But when you find yourself in a season, it could be financial, maybe you've experienced a windfall recently. But when you find yourself in a season of blessing, when you listen to the words of Jesus who tells you that you are indeed blessed, who do you spend your blessings on? When we find ourselves Bless, how, how do we manage the things that we have? I'm, I'm not here to beat up on Michael Carroll or anybody else that's won the lottery because I believe that most people in the world would take their blessings and would spend it, maybe not exactly how Michael Carroll did, but most of us would be tempted to spend it very similarly. At 14 million, you know what he did? He also bought his mom a house. So there's, there's that, right? Maybe that made him feel good. But by and large, when we are blessed, most of the time, our natural inclination, our natural inclination, not our supernatural inclination, but our natural inclination is to look inward before it is to look outward. Our natural inclination is to take our blessings and figure out how we can better ourselves and our lives than it is how we can lift somebody else up. And there's many ways that people have been blessed. Some people have been blessed financially. 
Some people have been blessed with high intelligence. Don't laugh or point fingers at, at those of us who maybe weren't, okay? Some have been blessed with popularity. Some have been blessed with leadership ability. There are many different ways that a person can be blessed. So the question that each of us has to answer is, what have I been specifically blessed with, and how am I spending that blessing? Because Jesus says that you are blessed. What do we do when we find we're, that we're living in an area of blessing? Because the default position of the human heart is to spend blessing on ourselves first. Uh, oftentimes, we'll do like Michael Carroll, and we'll make sure that we're taking care of ourselves and our own needs, but we'll put a $10 bill in the red bucket when somebody's ringing the bell out in front of the grocery store. Or maybe we'll tithe, or maybe we'll give to the church, or maybe we'll donate you know, money to a certain cause. But the default position is to think of ourselves first. And this is what Jesus is trying to break in us. So that our default position is not to think of how do we spend our blessings on ourselves, but we are blessed to be a what? We're blessed to be a blessing. And we all know that, right? We know that whether we've grown up in church or not. Sometimes it's hard to experience that. That's why our identity has to precede our action. Who are you? You're blessed. Why are you blessed? So that you can pour your blessings out on other people. You're blessed. Beloved, Jesus says that you're blessed. Are you a part of this kingdom of God? Then according to the king, you are blessed. Why? Because you're in relationship with him. You're a child of God this morning. That's a pretty great blessing, isn't it? Share it. That's what he's getting at. And here's where he's going to show us how to do that. Listen to the words of Jesus in Matthew chapter 5, verse 13 to 16. This is our text for the morning. Jesus looks at the same people that he has just told them, you're blessed, you're blessed, you're blessed. I know it's upside down and people don't understand it, but you're blessed. And he looks at these same people and he says, you are the salt of the earth. But if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. First thing we've said, you are blessed. Second, this is the most simple outline you'll ever find this morning. Number one, you're blessed. Number two, you're salt. I don't know how to say it any, any better than this. Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount lays out for all of us the foundation of the kingdom. You guys are salt. That's what you are. That's who you are. You're blessed people who are also salt. But what does that mean? Salt in the time of Jesus. When Jesus said this, the crowd that was gathered around him, listening right there at his feet, they wouldn't have to have conversations like you and I have to have right now. Because when they heard, you guys are salt, immediate things would have popped into their head. They'd have understood uh, uh, the analogy that Jesus was making. Is he telling them that they're all, uh, what is the chemical compound? Hydrogen chloride, is that right? Sodium chloride. Hydrogen chloride is probably something really bad, isn't it? Okay. Jesus wasn't saying that either, okay? Okay. Jesus isn't saying to them, you're table salt, 
or your sea salt. So he's saying something else. He's talking about one thing that represents something else. But So what is he saying? And what would they have immediately understood? A couple of things. Did you know that in the days that Jesus was speaking and teaching, that salt was a valuable commodity? That, that I, I mean, a lot of commerce was actually done with salt. Do you know the word salary actually comes from the word salt? Did you know that? Did you know that if you've ever, how many of you ever said this statement? He's not worth his salt. You know where that came from? Came from two things. In the Roman Empire, first of all, slaves would be sold for salt. They'd say, he's not worth his weight in salt. But it also comes from that word salary. So when we say he's not worth his salt, he's not worth what we're paying him. He's not worth his salt. So salt had incredible value. Um, it was highly valued. Its production was legally restricted in ancient times. So historically, it's used as a method of trade and currency. You know, also, just, you just tuck this away for trivia one day when you're watching Jeopardy, that the word salad also originates from salt, and it began with the early Romans salting their leafy greens and vegetables, okay? That has nothing to do with anything, but some of you like those interesting little tidbits. But everybody knew this. So when Jesus is looking out at the crowd and he says, you guys, you guys are salt. One of the first things that would have popped into their head was they would have said, are, are you saying I'm salty? And they wouldn't have thought, oh, you're saying I'm salty? What they would have thought is, oh, that's expensive. Jesus, are you saying that I, I'm highly valuable? So uh, the first thing that, about salt that we need to recognize that they didn't have to is, you are a person of high value. So when Jesus says you're the salt of the earth, you are valuable. Uh, we've established that salt was one of the most valuable things in the ancient world. And Jesus looks at his people and clears them to them that they are valuable. You matter. Ladies and gentlemen, God does not look at you and see another cog in the whole church machine. He looks at you and sees a person of infinite worth and value. And, and, and here's, here's a word for some of us this morning. This week you haven't felt it. Some of you this week have felt so untreasured. If you're a follower of Jesus, he looks at you and he says, but not to me. To me, you're precious and valuable. You, 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 are, you are not without worth. You're without price. So here this morning, especially if you're feeling less than valuable, that Jesus looks at you and he says, you're, you have so much worth. You're a treasure to me. You have great value. And you are loved by your creator. Second thing it means is that you are made for impact. Salt is made for impact. Central Baptist Church does not exist to be a gathering for religious people, does it? Is that, I mean, is that why we're here? No. That is not what Central Baptist Church resides at this address for. At least our offices and our building. 
Like we don't reside in any one address. We exist all across the community of West Georgia. And some even in Alabama. God bless you for driving. No, we were made for impact. Our entire purpose as a church is determined by King Jesus and must necessarily be for what he says we're supposed to exist for. And what does he say we're supposed to exist for? For people who don't know Jesus yet. We're here for people to be a testimony to people who have not yet tasted and seen that the Lord is good. We're to encourage one another on to good works in Christ Jesus for his glory and that they might know him as well. We are made for impact. Salt was something that is used to impact flavor. It's made to impact in, in two ways, preparing and preserving. Preparing and preserving. Salt is used to prepare food, and it's used to, pr to preserve food. One of the most vital roles of your life is to prepare and preserve those around you. Our community, locally, and our culture, broadly, are deteriorating at a rapid rate, are they not? Do, do, I mean, do you, do you see that as well? Do you see that it is breaking down and decaying? You look at the world around you, and you do not look at it and say, if you're anything like me, you do not look around at the world and say, oh, things are getting so much better. Now, look, I'll be honest with you, there are areas that are. I mean, that's why we work for change, and that's why we work hard, because we do want things to get better. And in pockets, we do see improvements. In pockets, we see things, but largely we look around and we say things are decaying. The world is filled with rot and decay. And much of the time, we want to get angry, and we want to blame the world for that. But is it the world's job to prepare and preserve itself? No, it's the salt's job to do that. So Jesus, looking at his followers, looking at the very first Christians, and he says, you are called to prepare your friends and your family. You are called to prepare your community. You are called to prepare your culture. You are called to preserve the good things that God has planted and placed in the world. Whose job is that? It's the job of the church, the job of the body of Christ to be salt in a world that has no salt, that is decaying. I love the way John Stott puts it. He says, God intends us to penetrate the world. Christian salt has no business to remain snugly in elegant little ecclesiastical salt cellars. Our place is to be rubbed into the secular community as salt is rubbed into meat to stop it going bad. And when society does go bad, we Christians tend to throw up our hands in pious horror and reproach the non-Christian world. But should not we rather reproach ourselves? One can hardly blame unsalted meat for going bad. It's just what it does. It cannot do anything else. The real question to ask is, where is the salt? The church was shaped and formed you think historically with me this morning. Any history buffs? 
Raise your hands high. Be proud of the fact you're a history buff. Okay, simple question. I'm going to ask somebody in this section over here. We'll put you on the spot. What empire was the church born into? The Roman Empire, okay? Now, we know that. Everybody, if you know history, if you read the New Testament, you understand that the church was shaped and formed. It grew in the Roman Empire, the early church. But why did it grow? The church did not grow because it was seen as a voting block. In fact, uh, uh, it had no power, politically speaking. It, it grew because it showed extravagant, ridiculous, unexplainable love for one another and for everyone else. Do you see it? You may have heard this story that when the plague broke out, Everybody fled. Everybody left their own family members to die. Literally, literally in the gutter. And as everybody's heading out of town, who actually was headed in town? It was the Christians. It was the followers of a crucified king who were headed back into town to show dying people the love of Jesus. And it was the love that was displayed that caused the church to flourish because the church was salt in a decaying world. That's salt. That's impact. That's different. That's distinct. You're salt. You're blessed. Jesus also says you are light. You are light. Jesus says you're the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. As a group, we are a collective light, and as individuals, we are lights in our community. One of the initiatives that we've undertaken as a church is called Bless Every Home. I, I, I would love for every single one of us to be involved in this. All it takes is going online, signing up. You can find the link on our website, and you get an email every day with a list of about five of your neighbors and their names and a passage of Scripture to pray for them. The reason I mention this to you right now is because when you sign up on a, a digital map, you show up as a light in your community. That's who we are. We're a light on a hill. When I read this passage, and every time that I'm there, I think about friends of mine who live in the Palestinian territories. They live in a very, very hard place. And their town, literally, you may have seen, when we were in Israel a few months back, we posted some of us pictures from an ancient church sitting on a hill. And if you were with me, you know exactly where I'm talking about. Their town literally is a city on a hill, out basically in the Judean wilderness. And so when you look up, you rise about 3,000 feet from Jericho up to a place that is in, would be barren, were it not for the beautiful olive groves that grow all around it. This town literally traces their Christian heritage to Pentecost. In a part of the world and in a part of this country and territory where they are surrounded by towns and every town, listen to me, every town has a mosque. Every town you're in, every town you travel to, you will hear that Muslim call to prayer. And it's loud. And if the speakers are too close to where you are, it's really loud. But not in this town. 
This is and has been for the last 2,000 years an enclave of Christianity. And you can look in any direction from the hills surrounding it and you look up and what will you, you will see is little city lights and at the highest points you'll see lit up little church steeples as a demonstration of the testimony of King Jesus. When I think of Jesus' words here, I think of that little town and how we are called to be like that so that people who exist out there in the dark can look up and they can see the light of Jesus in our community, in our cul-de-sac, in our cubicle, in our classrooms, in our stations at work, wherever we go, when we shop in the grocery store. We take our kids to ball practice when they, when they can look across the field and see us playing against them competitively and they can look at us and say that person is different. There is a light about them and they may not be able to put the words to this, but you know that Jesus says this is not something you do. This is something, this is who you are. You are light. We're called to be a light of blessing to our area. Central Baptist Church will not reach the world that we're called to reach and this is an ego crusher for me, but we will not reach the world that we're called to reach by preaching only. And if I'm honest with you this morning, preaching is not what brings most people to Jesus. And Jesus proves that here. Right here in this same passage. We'll get to that in a moment. We're not going to reach our community for Jesus because we have good events. It's just not going to happen. We could have hundreds of people show up. We could have thousands of people show up. It doesn't mean we've reached the community, does it? It means we had a good event, and that's a good thing, but that's different than being a light. We reach the world because we shine. We reach the world because we shine Jesus. Let's take a minute and just look really quickly at what light does. Number one, light defeats. Light defeats. Darkness is simply the absence of light. Darkness has no ability in and of itself to overcome light. This is what the Apostle John was saying in John 1.5. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness can't overcome it. The darkness can't overtake it. There is no dark that is too dark for one small light. The light will always show up. Number two, light reveals not only does it defeat, but light reveals. Light reveals. What does it reveal? It reveals evil. We're, we're, we're called to take the light of the gospel and to shine it into broken, hard places. So look, one of the purpose of the Christian life is to reveal evil. We shine our light on injustice in the world. We don't hide or shrink back from it. We shine. We call attention to. We don't take the easy way out. We don't ignore it either. We shine. Light also reveals good. Sometimes we can be so intent on focusing the beam of our light on the things that are wrong that we don't take nearly enough opportunity to shine light on 547 boxes that were packed to go around the globe. But we shine a light on things that are good and beautiful and worthy of being praised and lifted up. We shine a light on the things that are lovely. Significant part of your life and mine 
should be to seek out the things that are good and draw attention to them. Think on these things, we're told. Make a big deal about that. Find grace and beauty in the world and to highlight it. Light reveals and light defeats. And then finally, we talked about how we are blessed, how we are salt, how we are light. The last thing that I'll just say to you is we are distinct. We're distinct. Here's a statement I'd like to park on for a moment. Your life and my life will impact as salt and light will be directly proportionate to the distinction of our lives. I will make as much impact as my life is distinct from the world around it. So be distinct. Peter reminds us of this in his letter to the early church, 1 Peter 1, 15 to 16. He says, we are called to be holy because I am holy. He's quoting directly from the book of Leviticus. And another way to look at holiness is distinction. Be distinct. My life should be salt in a saltless world. My life should be light in a dark world. I, 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 should, I should stand out. There are two elements that necessarily have to exist in your life in order for you to be distinct. The first one is holiness. If you're going to be distinct in the world, you have to be Holy as he is holy. We have to seek to follow after Jesus. We have to live out this identity that he has given us as, as blessed men and women who are children of the king. Your, your heavenly father knows that you are going to fall down and mess up. We're not talking about perfection here. We're talking about attaining and seeking after Jesus and walking with him so that every new day his life is filling me up and rubbing off on me so that I can fill others up and rub off on them. That's the way the Christ life works. Right? Proximity to Jesus overflows into all areas of my life. So we got to, holiness, that's the first part. But what Peter challenges Christians with is this. He says, you're different. You out of everyone in the entire world are different. And he ties it directly to the resurrection of Jesus. He says, because of the resurrection of Jesus, you, you, you have a different kind of hope. That hope fundamentally changes our identity. It, it makes us different. So let your different show is what Peter is saying. L live different because you are different. And be distinct. Okay, that's the first part. Right? The second part of this, uh, 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 of the impact of my life being proportionate to the distinction of my life is this. It's to be present. It's to be present. You and I, this sounds so counterintuitive. You and I need to go find some darkness. We need, to go, we need to go find some darkness. We need to plant our lives in it. We've we, we got to be present. What is the value of light? If it is not to light up the things that are not. Find the tasteless parts of the world and go and be salty there. But beloved, you and I are called to be like those early Christians who when everybody was marching out of town, were marching in the other way and everybody's yelling. Like, don't you guys know the plague is there? People are dying. 
The Christian's walking down the road, resolute. Yes, that's why we're going. Why? Because they're dying. They're still dying. They're still dying. Where are we headed? Are we headed toward the dying? Or are we turning around and going with the crowd away from it? So we gotta, we got to show up. We're called to step into brokenness and the wholeness that only comes through the gospel. You did that by packing 547 shoeboxes, 547 families at least that will hear the good news of Jesus. But we don't stop there. We shine a light and ministering through our sports program, showing up in kids' lives. Where we could teach them about Jesus through basketball and soccer. Uh, we don't stop there. We shine light in the darkness by ministering uh, uh, through a pregnancy resource center here in the community. We, we, we do that by supporting and being a part of our, our local food pantry. So we find ways as a church, but also as individuals. Why? Because we're light and the world is dark. And light is called to go into the dark. Your identity is son or daughter of God. You are blessed. And that can feel upside down a lot of the time because it, it, we, would, we would naturally think that the people who have the most are the most blessed. But Jesus says, no, it's the meek. It's the peacemaker. It's the persecuted who are blessed. If you're a kingdom citizen, you're blessed. So let's end with this question. Are you taking your identity as a blessed one, and are you shining into others' lives? Are you spilling over into others' lives? Are you finding the tasteless parts of the world, and are you seeking to prepare and preserve there? Jesus did not say here in Matthew chapter 5 that they would hear our good works and glorify our Father in heaven. What did he say? They would glorify our Father in heaven because of? They would see. How will they see if there is no light to show them? So, beloved, the days of letting the devil have corners of society should be over. Show up. We're called to show up. You know what they're, I was thinking about this this week. You know what there should not be in Douglas County, Georgia? There should not be need for one foster family in this community. There shouldn't be a need for one. You, you know what there should not be in Douglas County, Georgia? There should be no hungry children because people of the light step into dark places. There should be no single moms who have to wonder if they have the support to raise a child on their own because people of the light Step in to dark places. There should be no lonely senior citizens in nursing homes in this community. Because people of the light show up in dark places with the light of Jesus. We're going to sing one last song in a moment. But before we do, and this I understand, I know this may make some of us uncomfortable, and I apologize ahead of time. But we're going to do it anyways. I want to invite us to do something a little bit different today. I'm going to invite us to get into small groups across the room this morning. 
And I know you may be sitting near people that you don't know and may not know you, but I hope you'll be okay with gathering with them just for a moment or two. And I wanna invite you to ask Jesus that he would use us as salt and light. So just spend a moment praying together in a small group. It doesn't matter how big the group is. It may be two of you, maybe 10. Just whoever's around you may be gathered together. And we could pray that we would be people who shine the light of the goodness and the love of Jesus, that we would be people who are present and seek out dark places and situations so that we can carry his light into the dark. And you may be comfortable praying out loud, uncomfortable praying out loud. That's okay. Pray silently if you need to. But when you gather in your group, while somebody may be praying out loud, could I just invite you to look around the room, get names first, and then silently pray for that person to be salt and light, be who Jesus created them to be in their community. Someone can take the lead in each group, but let's right now, could we just circle up and pray together, gather up? Some of us may be turning around backwards in our seats, and that's okay. And again, I'm sorry if this makes you too uncomfortable. I think it would honor the Lord for us to pray together for a moment. It is good for your people to gather and pray. And even as small groups are still praying, may I just pray over the entire room this morning that in a few minutes as we leave we'll, we'll go back to our homes and we'll go to restaurants and we'll go to other people's homes and Father we're, we're going we're gonna to leave this building and we're going to go to the places that you've placed us in help us have the resolve to be who you made us to be Blessed men and women who are salt and light in a tasteless and dark world. And give us new ideas to engage the darkness. Give us courage to stand strong in the face of darkness. Teach us what it means to truly be the hands and feet of Jesus. And God, may our prayer, though, our prayer is that people who are trapped in darkness will see our good works, that they will glorify you, that they will know what we know, that there is a God in heaven who treasures them as you treasure us, and may they taste and see that you are good as we have. If you're in the room this morning and you have not met Jesus, I beg of you, do not wait. Today is the best day for you to meet Jesus. We're going to stand and sing in a moment. A song we sung earlier in the service. We're going to sing about the goodness of God. And some of you in the room may not have tasted and seen the goodness of God before. I just ask you, would you come forward? Would you let one of us know so we could pray with you and introduce you to the goodness of God? His name is Jesus. If there are other decisions, if there are prayers that you need to make and want somebody to pray with you, come forward. If not, just stand and sing.
to this God who has been so very good to us. We love you, God. We love your son, Jesus. We love you, Holy Spirit, for changing us and making us salt and light. May we demonstrate that to the world you have placed us in. In the good and the beautiful name of Jesus. And God's people said together, amen. Will you stand as